Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yes or no to this statement. Ban college football and jaws drop all over. Yes, we are talking about that time-honored sport, football, in the place where it first mattered, college, and we are talking about banning it. Welcome from, to Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two. And for a taste of the kind of poetry and passion and pain that comes to bear when we discuss the meaning of football, I just want to give you a taste, a sample of what one NFL player wrote back in 2001 about playing through pain. He said, to this day... I will encourage people to feel the knob below my neck where the collarbone was sprung free from my sternum in the middle of a game against the 49ers. That was pain, and he loved it. So are we talking about madness, or are we talking about courage when we debate the question of banning college football? Let's meet our debaters. On the side arguing for the motion to ban college football, Buzz Bissinger, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and author of the book Friday Night Lights. And, Buzz, in 1990, you wrote a book called Friday Night Lights. It is considered a classic of sports journalism about a small town, Odessa, Texas, and the trials of its high school team. It is considered by Sports Illustrated the fourth greatest sports book of all time. While critical of what you saw, that you have said that you love the sport and that violence is why we like it. So are you on the wrong team here? And look, nobody has ever accused me of being consistent about anything. I also think there's a vast distinction between what we're, what we're arguing here, which is college football versus pro players who are being compensated very, very well for what they do and know the risks going in. College players receive nothing beyond a scholarship that is really of questionable value because of the demands placed upon them. All right, Buzz Bissinger. Let's meet your debating partner, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, who can't seem but to help writing uh, best-selling books, Blink, Outliers, The Tipping Point. Uh, in The New Yorker, you've written about everything from innovation to catch-up to social media. And, of course, your piece that helped inspire this debate, the one where you compared college football to dogfighting. You're also Canadian. <laughs> Canada has football. Is it any different in Canada? Well, the difference in Canada is that we don't care about football. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Our motion is ban college football, and here to meet the team arguing against the motion in support of college football, Tim Green, a college football Hall of Famer and former Atlanta Falcons defensive end. Now, I earlier in the program read a quote from somebody who said, come touch the knob on my neck, and that was you, Tim Green, and we're all going to line up and do that afterwards. But uh, um, 
so this, this peon to punishment that you wrote, what, what is that about? Why, why the glory of the pain? It's how much can you take? How much can you take and keep going? And I think that's one of the great lessons of the sport of football. And I think that's why it's, it's great for our youth. It's great in, in Little League. It's great in high school. It's certainly great in college because it teaches kids life is tough. Things are tough. And then you pick yourself up and you go on. I think it's the greatest lesson in the game. And I think it's the greatest game that we play. Thank you, Tim Green. And his partner, Jason Whitlock, a FoxSports.com national columnist and former offensive tackle for Ball State University. Uh, you are on record, Jason, as saying that you are in favor of paying college players to play the game. So if you were given the choice nowadays, back at Ball State, would you play for free? If we were playing back in the 80s, early 90s, when I played, absolutely, because I thought the exchange was fair then. Coaches and football wasn't generating as much money. And I was prepared to take advantage of the currency that they were paying me in education. All right, thank you, Jason Whitlock. Ladies and gentlemen, our debaters. So this is a contest, and in this debate, uh, one team will win, the other team will lose, and you, our live audience, will choose our winners by your vote. So on to round one, and speaking first for the motion, ban college football. I'd like to introduce Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is a New Yorker staff writer, chronicler of the counterintuitive, and author of Outliers, Blink, and The Tipping Point. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Gladwell. This debate is about a very specific question. Right now in colleges across the country, schools field football teams for the purpose of offering recreation to the players and offering entertainment to fans and students and alumni. And the question is, is that appropriate? Buzz is going to say that's not appropriate because the players are exploited. And I'm going to say that it's not appropriate because schools should not be in the business of, of encouraging young men to hit themselves over the head. Let's talk a little bit about hitting over the head. Start with the very simple, the simple physics of football. The human brain is a mass of soft tissue that is suspended within a hard skull. Every time you get hit, that soft tissue rattles around inside your skull, and the effect of that rattling around is to stretch and sometimes tear the connections between your nerve cells. In the course of everyday life, that almost never happens. In the course of playing football, that happens all the time. It is not unusual in the course of a game for a player to sustain hits to the head of between 40 and 100 Gs. To put that in perspective, if you were to get in your car and drive at 25 miles an hour into a brick wall so that your forehead struck the dashboard of the car, that would be a hit of 100 Gs. If you reversed your car and went and did it over and over again so that you hit the brick wall 30 to 40 times at speeds between 20 and 25 miles an hour, that would be the equivalent of a football game. Now, you're going to hear from Mr. Whitlock and Mr. Green that if we have better rules or better treatment of concussions or better helmets, the effect of that kind of injury can be minimized. That is a fantasy. There are ways to cut down on the number of concussions, but concussions are only a small part of the problem. The real issue is all of those thousands of tiny hits. There isn't a helmet in the world that can be designed that can take the sting out of those hits. And there is no way to play the game of football and remove those hits without turning tackle football into touch football. Now, what's the effect of all of that neurological trauma? Well, we know. It's a condition called CTE, right, which brings about premature death and the equivalent of Alzheimer's in people who are as young as 40 years old. I've seen pictures of the brain scans of people with CTE, and it looks like someone drove a truck across their brain. 
We don't know how many ex-football players have this condition because you can't diagnose it until they die, until you do an autopsy of your brain. But there are people who estimate there are as many as 20% of football players who have this condition. And we also know that there are players as young as 18 years old who have been diagnosed with with CTE. Now, I have no problem whatsoever with grown men in full possession of the facts and risks of the game choosing to participate in a potentially lethal profession. I have no problem with people who smoke cigarettes. I have no problem with people who do deep-sea diving. I have no problem with people who want to drive their motorcycles without a helmet on. If you want to play Russian roulette with your brain, fine. But college is a very, very different matter. Every single college in this country, rich or poor, big or small, is supported by the taxpayer dollars of the people in this room. And the reason for that special relationship between us and the, and the world of higher education is that they are charged with a sacred trust, and that is to prepare the minds of young men and women to lead productive uh, lives, productive lives as, as full citizens of the United States. And nowhere... In that social contract, does it say that it's okay to promote and encourage young men to hit themselves over and over again in the head in the name of entertainment? Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Our motion is ban college football. And here to speak against the motion, Tim Green. He's a college football Hall of Famer, a former Atlanta Falcons defensive end, a lawyer, the author of 26 books. He has been called the Renaissance Man of Sports by both Sports Illustrated and the L.A. Times. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Green. When, when I was first asked to do this, I, I, of course, I asked permission uh, from my wife, as any good husband will. And uh, when she said, well, you know, what's the debate? I said, ban college football or not. She said, well, that's, that's ludicrous. You know, you, you'll win that debate. I said, yeah. She said, you, you can win the debate, can't you? I said, absolutely. She said, uh, well, who are you debating? I said, a Buzz Bissinger, Malcolm Gladwell. She said, you've had too many concussions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I have, and I have. And I agree with, I agree with our opponents, uh, Mr. Gladwell and Mr. Bissinger. Football is a brutal game. And I have grave concerns about concussions and the impact of concussions. But, but banning college football, I mean, so, so I, I had to first, I had to get over my initial horror at the notion because, of course, football for me has done a lot of tremendous things. And then I, I looked at, you know, just our, our country, our society in general, and I thought about football and what it does in the colleges and how it's a unifier, um, not just the, the guys on the teams, but unifying a campus, unifying the, the students, unifying the faculty, unifying the alumni, unifying sometimes in, entire towns, communities, and whole cities. And so in that respect, to me, I said, well, college football is a wonderful thing. And so I, I, I looked into the numbers as far as what does college football, what are the benefits of college football, and what are the detriments? Well, the detriments certainly are the, the head injuries. So what I said to myself is I said, well, let me look at some things that are as unsafe or, or maybe even more unsafe than playing the game of football. And so I went to, I went to uh, uh, the NCAA, and I looked at their sports, and I looked at the fit- study of the fatalities, direct fatalities, and the, the sports that are more dangerous than football, equestrian riding, female downhill skiing, lacrosse, water polo, and baseball. And then I went to indirect fatalities, and I looked, and I found that rowing, basketball, skiing, water polo, and swimming are all more dangerous than football. 
And so if we're going to say, well, football has to be banned, I think it's only right that we say we pretty much have to ban all college sports. So uh, those are the things that are maybe against, and I don't think that, that it's that dangerous. What are the things that are for? Education. Mr. Bissinger said, well, you know, all you get is a scholarship. All you get is a scholarship. If you go to my alma mater, it's, that, that's a $250,000-plus scholarship. That's the value of that. So you do get an education. How many, how many scholarship football players are there in this country every year? 23,000. And the surplus from the game of football is used for what? Well, maybe it is for research. Maybe it is for physical plant. But a lot of it also is used for Title IX, for opportunities for women athletes to enjoy scholarships and enjoy educations that they might never have had before. And to suggest that football and, and sports aren't educating, especially football, aren't educating students in the general population. Students have a graduation rate of 55% in this country, and it's going down. And it's of grave concern. College football players in the last 25 years have gone from a 60% graduation rate to a 70% graduation rate. So not only are they being educated, they're being educated at a higher and better rate than their peers. So I hope that you will all vote tonight to not ban college football. Thank you. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Stay with us. And here's a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, ban college football. You have heard two of the opening statements, and now on to the third, debating in support of the motion, ban college football, Buzz Bissinger. He is winner, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting and author of several bestsellers, including Friday Night Lights. His newest book is called Father's Day. Ladies and gentlemen, Buzz Bissinger. Our nation is at a cornerstone. There's no doubt about it. In a very intense, the most competitive global economy we have ever faced. And one of the things that we are looking at and must look at, which makes this debate pertinent, is the role of the university. It is pivotal. Allocation of resources in a very difficult era as governors are slashing to the bone, dwindling money, rising tuition. And yet, a recent book by two sociologists, Robert Aram and Josipa Roxas, says, undergraduates embrace college life and it is shaped and oriented to non-academic endeavors. Study time in colleges has gone from over 40 hours in the 1960s to 20 hours in the 1980s to currently 13 hours of study time. And I believe that at the top of what has become the university distraction, the distracted university, is football. It sucks all the air out of the room. The amount of money that coaches make is insulting. It is insulting when a coach is making 5 to 10 to 15 times more than a college president. What does it say about the priorities of a university? It says that the head coach runs the school. And make no mistake, that was the tragedy of Joe Paterno. He did run Penn State. He did run Penn State. And I know he ran Penn State because when Graham Spanier went to his house in 2004 and said, Joe, it's time to retire, he threw him out. And when he, it was his chance 
to do what was the morally right thing to do, which was to go to the police, the culture of omerta that surrounds football, he did nothing except harbor a suspected child molester. This is what we're dealing with in football. A few facts in what they call the football bowl subdivision, the big 125 schools, spending per student. $13,471. Spending per athlete, $91,053. 6.8 times as much for a student athlete. It's become a facility arms race. $15.2 billion spent on new athletic facilities, in particular stadiums, between 1995 and 2005. From USA Today, June 16th of 2011. More than $470 million most of it in student fees by students who do not play sports, went into to subsidize college athletic programs, in particular in football. And this is an era, a national trend of declining state support, tuition increases, and salary freezes. Salaries. A professor, 1986 to 2007, his salary went up 30%. The college president, 100%. The football coach, And I defy both of you to tell me why Urban Meyer deserves, of Ohio State, $24 million over six seasons. I defy you to tell me that. I defy you to tell me why Mack Brown deserves $5.192 million, not to mention David Cutcliffe at Duke, which has a terrible football program, (laughs) who receives $1.762 million. And there are all... These myths, all these myths, myth, increased increased alumni giving. 2005, Robert Frank of the Johnson School of Management at Cornell. Existing empirical literature supports that success in big-time athletics has little, if any, systematic effect on the quality of incoming freshmen and institutions able to attract. Graduation rates. Graduation rates. NCA is the most ridiculous formula. The graduation success rate, now they've included the Ivy League. It's ridiculous. And what is worse, what is worse is that the racial gap between black and white is despicable. I'm done. Thank you, Buzz Bissinger. Our motion is ban college football. Our motion is ban college football. And our final debater against the motion is Jason Whitlock. Jason is a Jason is a, is a national columnist with FoxSports.com. He's a contributor to Fox Sports Radio. He lettered as an offensive tackle for Ball State University, and he was the first sports writer to win a National Journalism Award. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Whitlock. Mr. Gladwell, Mr. Bissinger, are two of the brightest minds uh, that dabble in sports. No, uh, no, 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 no. I, I did, I did not mean that dismissively. They, we need to keep in I will not match uh, Buzz's intensity. Uh, I think I can match wits with him and Mr. Gladwell. Keep in mind, Mr. Gladwell is a Canadian. And <laughs> you guys are, I'm not playing this for jokes. I'm being serious. Uh, we live in a republic, a democracy. Capitalism is our economic system. Uh, we're American. And... If you believe in freedom, you can't have the free without the dumb. You can't have it. They go hand in hand. I would agree. You can put football right in there with cigarettes, alcohol, porn, 
everything else, things that we tolerate and enjoy here in America. Uh, but you cannot separate them. And, and so you can't remove our institutions of higher education from capitalism and from freedom. We don't do that in America. Football has to be tolerated no different than Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald has done far more damage to America than any football coach, any of these overpaid coaches that he's talking about. Mr. Bissinger argues rightfully these coaches are overpaid. Ronald McDonald is overpaid. Hugh Hefner's overpaid. Uh, Charlie Sheen's overpaid. That's America. Football, whether we like it or not, whether you understand it or not when I say it, but football is America. It is the melting pot. Football is the Statue of Liberty, college football. You're huddled masses, you're poor, you're tired. I was one of those kids. Football was my access into the mainstream and a better life. My dad didn't graduate from high school. My mother was a factory worker. I was the first person in my family to go off to college. Football brings, it brings everybody together, particularly at the college level. Your high school experience, for the most part, is segregated. Your little league experience is segregated. Once you go all the way up to the pros, it's more segregated because football is a game best played by the most desperate people on the planet. It's like boxing. That's why so many of the football players have hard luck stories in the National Football League. They came from nothing. They had no other choices. They had to be good at football. But on the college level, everybody comes together. The reason, the reason why I never lose faith in America is because of my college football experience. I have seen people of different backgrounds overcome tremendous differences to compete for one goal. That's what we allegedly are trying to do here in America. I think the argument to ban college football is being argued by well-intentioned people who don't clearly understand the sport. Your time is up. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now we go on to round two, which is where the debaters address each other directly and also answer questions from you in the audience and from me. We have two teams of two who are arguing out this motion, ban college football, arguing for the motion, Buzz Bissinger and Malcolm Gladwell. They're arguing that college football is something like a kind of toxic spill in the society. They make two kinds of arguments. One, the medical argument that it abuses the players, hurts them physically, literally is rattling the brains in their heads. And a financial argument that college football twists universities' priorities so that these schools are less in the education business than they are in the football business. The team arguing against the motion, they are arguing that, that football is a great unifier for the schools, they provide identity and loyalty. For the players as individuals, they provide character and discipline and a shot at education that many of them may not have had. So we want to have them mix it up now. And I want to go to the side arguing against the motion. Your, your opponents 
are, are making a very broad philosophical argument that college football as it stands now has no place on university campuses because it makes the schools more about football than it does about education. And they put this down to a very specific question. Why should these coaches be making millions of dollars and millions of dollars more than the president of the universities? Why shouldn't they be making millions of dollars more? Why? I mean, this is America, and Jason said it. This is, this is a country where we allow pop stars and rappers we allow people to make whatever the, whatever the market determines that it should make. I don't understand why we would begrudge anyone Wait, any amount of anything. that's your defense, that hedge fund managers are just as bad? I mean, <laughs> at this point, can't we declare the, the debate is, over? I, don't, I wouldn't begrudge, you know, I don't begrudge, you know, you, the, the revenues from your wonderfully successful books or buzz. You know, Friday Night Lights, we're all big fans. Whatever you get is what you get. And whatever right. the market determines, that's what you earn. Buzz Bissinger. I understand, but you're, first of all, these are not-for-profit institutions. Second of all, athletic departments are notoriously bureaucracy-heavy. Ohio State has an athletic department of 478 people, which is twice as much as the English department at Ohio State. Let's face it, it ain't about capitalism because they're nonprofit institutions. They're not responsible to stockholders. Plus, the Knight Foundation has said there is absolutely no correlation between a winning record and the amount of a coach's salary. You talk about what's wrong Tim Green. with football, with academics, right? You talked about yes. 13 hours a week studying. Guess how many hours a week football players study? 40. 40 hours a week. Football's doing a good job. They're doing a good job educating their players. They're educating them at a better and a higher rate than the general population. Maybe academia should take a, a, a page out of the playbook from the football program. Malcolm Gladwell, your, your opponents said your, their opponents made the point. Your opponents made the point that that football players' rate of graduation is actually increasing. Can you take that on? I, almost everything that uh, our two opponents said. I agree with if they simply substituted in another sport for football. The issue is not that football does all kinds of wonderful things. Of course it does. Do football players graduate? Of course they do. Do they learn all kinds of wonderful character things? Absolutely. But do we have to bash them over the head in order to, to, to communicate those virtues? Why can't they row? Why can't they... Why can't they kick a soccer ball? They Why can't can, they run but track? those sports I mean, won't generate. Jason, they McClough. won't generate enough money to sustain themselves. And again, I, I just want to go back to. Wait, it's about money now that they have to hit, get hit over the head because they can't get money. In terms, money in terms of funding all the other sports you're talking about that you like, yes, they do have to get hit but, over the head on Saturdays to pay for that. But Absolutely, Jason, Jason Malcolm. Green. You know, all due respect, you're talking about all this, all this uh, damage that's done to the brain. Show me the studies. Show me proof. Because what I'm looking at right here is indirect fatalities. You said, why couldn't they be rowing? Per 100,000 students, student athletes, in rowing, how many, how many indirect fatalities a year? 16. How many in football? 2.2. Yeah, Malcolm. No, here's the thing. At that moment in your, in your um, remarks, when you were comparing fatality rates between sports, I, I was incredulous. I'm not talking about fatalities on the field. We're talking about long-term health consequences that show up 20 and 30 years later. Show me the studies. Here's, here's why we don't know what the long-term consequences of football are. Because you have to shoot yourself and have an autopsy before we know whether Malcolm, you have CTE in your brain. I, yeah, but you know, let right? me, let me, I, I think Jason that... You diagnose it until you're dead. I, I agree. Whitlock. I think, though, we're so caught up in the junior sale. Dave Durison, and 
the aberrations. I don't think that's the norm. Because the, the overwhelming majority stop in high school, and then the next the, big group the, stops at college, and now we have some examples of a few pro athletes that have had these amazing problems. We haven't seen the studies that say college athletes the two of, the two in of, any significant number have these problems. Jason, the two of you who have played, uh, I want to ask you, I mean, g- given the arguments made on the other side, do you actually worry about the statistics that Malcolm is citing, since you both have played the game. Do you I, worry about it? I have concerns, but this, this is the cell phone syndrome, folks. Ten years ago, people said, cell phones, cell phones, next to the head. It's brain cancer, cell phones, brain cancer. And I'm walking around, my wife's saying, you can't use your cell phone, you can't hold it next to your head. Guess what? They've done studies, long-term studies, and they found there is no correlation between cell phones and brain cancer. Buzz Bissinger. Well, I'm, you know, listen, are, are, have the studies been definitive? No. However, of BU has studied the brains of 44 players who died early either because of Alzheimer's, suicide, which is a very, very complex issue. I agree with Jason about why Junior Sow died. We don't know. But in each of those 44 brains, they found advanced CTE. The first case was Andre Waters, who shot himself at the age of 43. Forget suicide. When they looked at his brain, they said he had the brain of a 67-year-old man. And you know, you know how Andre Waters played. He probably suffered 25 to 30 concussions during his career. So you have 44 cases in which there were advanced signs of CTE in players who either had Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's, or died. And there I, are 6,000 former NFL players over the last 20 years, and well, you're talking a th- about... 1,000 are filing many, suit. Uh, take take 6,000 6, clergymen, 6,000 university a th- a thousand, professors. I, I don't want to be this cynical, Buzz. I don't want to be this cynical, but we, this is also America. We sue over everything. <laughs> we, we, you, get, you get broke and desperate. You, you, if, if you can't earn it, you'll sue somebody Malcolm to Gladwell. get it. That's America. Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> I think all of you are, are the two of you are, are sidestepping the crucial fact here. Yes, this is a complex topic. Yes, we don't know what the full extent of this damage is. The issue is, what do we do at our institutions of higher learning That's what in I the interim? To. Walk things back. They're playing too many games. I agree. They should walk it back to 11 games. The coaches are earning so too much. They should share some with the players. They should have less padded practices and less contact. They should walk things back until we figure it out. You don't just jump to banning because we would have banned cell phones but, 10 years ago. But you're, Tim you're, just you're, you're, you're yielding. The, you're, you're, you're actually yielding a lot of their points that there's a real problem there. So you do well, yield. No one denies there's a problem. Yeah. Look at helmets. Helmets have got better in 1976. The rules changed in 1976. Absolutely. I mean, we're not saying, oh, you know, just just go carry on as usual. Yeah, change the rules a little bit. Continue to modify. Keep making the helmets safer and safer, which they are. Do everything we can to protect. But don't you don't ban things. This this is America. We don't ban things. People can burn the flag. So I want to I want to put a question to this side because there's something about your argument that I realize I'm not clear on. Do you believe that athletics have a place? a formal place in education, period, uh, in the same way, for example, that, that music, painting, performance may. Absolutely. Malcolm Gladwell. For all of the reasons I think that were so um, articulately, articulately stated um, by Mr. Green and Mr. Wetlock, there are opportunities to build character, to learn 
teamwork, to, to bring people from different backgrounds together. All of that's true. So you're saying it's, Buzz, you're saying it's the way in which football is, is happening now. In other words, if you went back 50 years... Well, I mean, it's, it's the way... The myth of the student-athlete is a myth. In the early 1900s, when the Ivy League ruled football, you know what they did? They hired these kids. They gave them a share of the great gate receipts. They never went to school, and they were not expected to, to go to school. So where does athletics in general and football specifically fit into the process of education? It, it, football does not fit into the process of a college education, not when we rank 14th in the but, world. But rowing it, does? Rowing, rowing may to some degree. They Why? could all be What's college the sports. They could all be club sports. Honestly, honestly, we are so athletic obsessed. And for what? For what? I mean, the number of scholarships that we give out, does Penn State really need 29 varsity sports? Does it? I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. So we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two against two, who are arguing it out over this motion, ban college football. We're doing questions from the audience. Um, hi, my name is Claire uh, Andre. My question is, uh, it's been kind of black and white, either ban or not ban, but what, what would you suggest as ways or not suggest as ways to encourage uh, to... Well, can I twist your question just a tad? Because I've sure. been wondering the same thing. Is there a reformable version of college football that you guys would accept? Because they actually are talking about, let's make some changes. No, no, go ahead, Buzz. This is a very radical solution. It's got all sorts of problems. I understand that. But people are talking about universities. You license out your name, and basically you're, you're creating a de facto subsidiary. The university gets a licensing fee. They negotiate it. It basically is a minor league system that is separate. Or, you know what? You get rid of it. You don't penalize the players. You know who the biggest villain in this is? The NFL. The NFL does not pay a single dime for what is the greatest boondoggle and farm system ever created. And Malcolm, so make the Malcolm NFL the... pony up with a developmental league. Yeah, Tim Green would like the chance to respond I, to that. In, in, your, in your farm team system, you know, where every school gets to have their own farm team, um, do, the, do the players get to go to class? Do they get an education at the same time? I think it's, a, it's an unwieldy mechanism. I think you give the players that option. If they want to be called student athletes and they're actually going to class and they're interested in getting education, fine. If they don't want to go, don't make them because I have a feeling that most of them probably don't want to go. Well, you know, that, you got to quantify that. But why do you think if they don't want to go, why do you think 70% are graduating as opposed to 55, 56% of everyone else? Why? Yeah. Buzz Wisner. Because... It's a game, and because the NCAA knows and college football knows that we're under a lot of scrutiny for our graduation rates, so they push them through. In the, right in the aisle there. Hi. Uh, my name's Ashley. Uh, there is a, a scholar out of Duke University who has correlated the top 25 universities um, in the world, 22, 21, 22 of them are in the U.S., uh, with the big sports programs. Question is, do you feel that that holds any weight? Um, one of the questions that you've posed several times is, what is the purpose of 
football and other athletics in higher education, and if it's overall to bring our top our universities to the top of the line. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I, you know, the thing that I always come back to that has mystified me throughout this whole debate is, what on earth is so special about football? I mean, if 50 years ago or 75 years ago, the major colleges had all decided that they would compete at Monopoly, <laughs> and that somehow Monopoly had gotten lodged in the imagination of the American scholar Monopoly player, and that they started to give out scholarships for Monopoly players, and then the Monopoly coaches earned millions of dollars, and they built large stadia, which thousands of people would come to to watch the Monopoly players compete against each other. And then suddenly it was observed that Monopoly had gotten out of control, and we said, maybe it's time for us to turn our back on Monopoly. I can imagine the two of you just standing up there and saying, no, there's something... Yeah, but her her question for... Her question for... My point is, there's nothing. It's just a game. Replace it with another game. But her question persists that she, whether it makes no sense to you or or not, her question is she feels that this effect is there and is real. My point is, it's probably real, but you could get it with something else. Monopoly. Let's try it. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's like anything in life. If a team is winning and successful with certain exceptions like a Texas or an LSU or an Alabama, if you're winning, students go. Alumni go. If you're losing, they tend not to go. I'm not sure if you're saying that the 25 biggest, best universities in the world have superb football programs, because I don't think that's correct. And last time I checked, the Ivy League sucks. Uh, Tim Green. Malcolm, you asked what's so special about football, and I I, want to seriously try to answer that, because I've coached a lot of sports and I've coached football. The thing that I love most about football is and this is what I say to, my, to the kids I coach. I say, you're, you're gonna, when you go out into the world, you are going to be knocked down. You're going to be knocked down, and guess what? It's not always going to be fair. And sometimes people are going to do things to you that they shouldn't do. And I'm telling you but that, that, but, that as a football player and football players, you learn but, to get but knocked Tim, down and get back up. Look, I mean, football is a part of the, of, of the American soul. It goes to, frankly, our celebration of, of we like being a violent, you know, hard-assed country. What I resent is that why don't you get all those things in the school newspaper? When you put on a play, when you're in the orchestra, you get all these things. And all those pursuits have much more long-lived academic pursuits. I think on a college campus, a lot of those endeavors that you're talking about, and some of them I participated in my school newspaper, again, those tend to be segregated endeavors that don't reach the cross-section of people that football does across a lot of different backgrounds. Buzz Bissinger. Henry Gates, Sports Illustrated, 1981. The blind pursuit of attainment in sports is having a devastating effect on our people. Imbued with a belief that our principal avenue is to profit through sport, far too many black kids treat basketball courts and football fields as if they were classrooms in an alternate school system. I frankly think that uh, you are selling a bill of goods to inner city kids that athletics is the way out because there are a lot of other ways out. Jason Jason Whitlock. There's many... Jason Whitlock. Because it's America and because of freedom, you have to take responsibility for yourself. Trust me, having gone through the athletic and academic experience, Ball State University and every other university that my friends attended, 
they put all the academic goodies right on the table for you to take. It's up to you to open your mouth and take it. And so we're blaming institutions a lot of times for things that a foundation with a kid has to be established from birth all the way up until the point you hand them over to the institution. And so it's, we can demonize the universities and the institutions, but, you know, there's clearly a breakdown in family throughout America that is most acute in the African-American community, and it contributes to a lot of these problems that uh, Mr. Bissinger's talking about. Front row. If well, my name is Vince Percacci. I'm not a member of the media. Uh, on the topic of freedom, if you do have a ban, how do you craft legislation that would make uh, the rest of us feel somewhat uncomfortable about the overreaching... Um, Setting a precedent that could be used to ban basketball next. Exactly, exactly. That they no. decide that yeah, they don't like. That's, and and it's the message from the other side is we don't like to ban things even though we do ban things. He's wait, asking wait, about other all the team, other sports. But, you know, you do it. You do it. The University of Chicago, which was in the Big Ten, and Jay Burwanger had won the Heisman Trophy six years earlier in the Big Ten... Robert Hutchins said, you know what, this serves absolutely no academic purpose. And you know what? They got rid of it. They got rid of it. Schools can get rid of it. I mean, Tim Green. We, why can't we, to, to Jason's point about freedoms, if, if, someone is, if a football program is losing money and a school wants to discontinue it, well, why, why don't they? They don't because somewhere along the line, some benefit is inuring to that university, and that's why they do it. And I just, I just don't understand why you would say, well, let's ban it. If it's so unproductive, if it's so counterproductive to everything that's going on, it would ban itself. Uh, sir, question. Um, actually, Mr. Bissinger, I did go to the University of Chicago, and I did play football there. They reinstituted football in 1969. But on a very, very minor, minor scale. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's Division Three. Right. Uh, but they wear helmets well, and hit each other. You do right? actually wear helmets a lot. You can't. not touch. And Mr. Whitlock, I do work on Wall Street as well, so actually I think I had some success in my career after the graduate <laughs> from the University of Chicago. Uh, I can tell you this much. Um, the University of Chicago athletes in general, not just football, but athletes overall, have a higher GPA when I graduated in 2000 than the overall student body. Now, it is also true that Division One programs without football, no one makes money. Football programs pay for all the, other, all the other sports. So once you ban football, how do you pay for women's swimming? Because there is a correlation between athletics you, and economics. How do you pay for women's swimming the way you pay for a lot of things? You taxes? No, you get a rich benefactor, and there are plenty out there who will pay for the program because, frankly, that's what's happening now. Uh, Boone Pickens, why is Oklahoma State so good? Because he's given $300 million to the football program. And you know as well as I do that Chicago is in a very, very different place than the 125 BCS schools. There is no question at places like Chicago and Harvard and Wesleyan where kids don't think that they're going to be pro football players. The most formidable person I've ever met is an athlete because they don't quit. But you know what the problem with athletes are? You know where they do the best? Wall Street. And you know why Wall Street is so screwed up? is because athletes, it's true, athletes don't know when to quit. They're only about winning. Up. I mean, one thing I do want to say, though, is on this line, I mean, are we talking about banning college football? Are we talking about only banning college football if it's Division One college football? Are we talking about Division Three, Division Two football? That's okay? Look, so you're, you're, you're saying ban I'm advocating, here's what entirely. I'm, no, but I'm advocating that there are other ways to do it, whether it's a minor league system, whether it's an NFL developmental system. I mean, 
you license, you license it out. You okay. license as it out. As long as they can go to school and those, so those 70 percent that want to get their education can get it, I think it's yeah, great. That All right, 70%. that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. <laughs> round three, closing statements. Two minutes each. Our motion is ban college football. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Tim Green, a best-selling author, former Atlanta Falcon, and college football Hall of Famer. There, there is no question that there are problems with college football. But I hope that after some of the things you've heard tonight from Jason and from me, people who've benefited from uh, the education we, we had on the football field with the perseverance, um, the hard work, the teamwork, and the benefits that, we, that uh, accrued to us through our education, uh, where, where we earned the opportunity to get college degrees. And sometimes some of the people who get those degrees wouldn't have another way to get them except through the college through the football scholarships. So there are, there are great things. They unify our communities um, in many instances. They unify campuses and colleges. And, that's, and the reason why it's there is because it is doing good things. And, yes, it's making money. And, yes, the coaches are making money. That, that's just our, that's, that's our society. So we pay people you know, what, the market, what the market says we should pay them. There are concussions, but there are no studies so far that link that to anything uh, other than uh, you know, some, some isolated instances. It's evolving uh, with the equipment and the rules. It can continue to get better. You know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell may be best known for his, his book called Blink. And in that book, it says that um, when you're faced with a crucial decision or any decision, just listen to the premise, and then give your immediate impression. So that's what I want to ask you to do tonight. Think about this. Are we going to ban college football? And in a blink, I think you'll vote that we will not. Thank you, Tim Green. Our motion is ban college football. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Buzz Bissinger, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, sports columnist for The Daily Beast, and author of Friday Night Lights. Uh, I'm surprised that Tim and Jason seem not to be affected at all about our lagging academic performance, that we're now 14th in the world in math and reading and science when we used to be first, uh, that we're 16th in educational attainment when we used to be first. We simply do not have time to waste. Universities were set up for a primary academic purpose. They were not set up as sports factories uh, disguised as universities. I understand the graduation rate is 69%. I think it's ginned up, and I know the impact. I did write a book called Friday Night Lights in which the cornerstone character was a black running back named Booby Miles. Now, this was high school, and I saw what happened, as many college players are, when you are treated as a football animal. When you pass, because the word on the street is that professors is, you better pass that kid or there's going to be trouble. Booby Miles got no education. He was considered dysfunctional, basically an idiot, which he was not. And I'll tell you, with no education, his life has been nothing but a horrendous hell and a lot of broken dreams that football propagates more than any other sport. Thank you, Buzz Bissinger.
Ben, college football, that is our motion. And here to argue his position against this motion, Jason Whitlock. He is a national columnist for FoxSports.com and an all-sports insider and contributor to Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Mr. Gladwell began <clears throat> talking about the purpose of schools and, and overall education is about preparing you for life. Uh, Brady Hoke, the head football coach at the University of Michigan, is a very good friend of mine. He played football at Ball State University. He had been the head coach at Ball State University. I, I have watched him up close and personal in this era reach kids at Ball State University, at San Diego State University, and now at the University of Michigan with an entire leadership program men-building program that he and his strength coach implement throughout a player's four- and five-year career, and it helps develop the overall person, and it helps prepare the athlete for life in the real world. That is a school's purpose. If we truly understood football and what was transpiring, I don't think anyone would argue that it's not part of the academic experience. It's not perfect. It can be improved. Uh, it can be more like the Ivy League system, but there's no way we should ban football. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. Our motion is ban college football. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Malcolm Gladwell, a New Yorker staff writer and author of The Tipping Point. The, the most surprising thing about this debate to me in the end was that we only mentioned the name Junior Seau twice. And to my mind, Junior Seau's shadow... Uh, is cast over this whole evening, shot himself in the chest, um, and he played four years at the University of South Carolina, University of uh, Southern California. Over which time, I'm guessing he was hit in the head about four thousand times. He's not the first. Right? Before Junior Seau, there was Dave Dewerson, played four years at the, at the University of Notre Dame, during which time he was probably hit in the head around four thousand times. He wasn't the first either. Before him, there was Andre Waters shot himself in the head, played four years at Cheney University, over which time he was probably hit in the head at least 4,000 times. I could go on and on and on, right down to the captain of the Penn football team who hung himself in his room a couple of years ago. And when they did an autopsy on his brain, what did they find? They found evidence, long-term neurological damage that was the result of being hit in the head too many times. I think some of the things that both Tim and Jason said about what this game can do are absolutely true. It is, in many ways, a beautiful game. It's a game that teaches all kinds of powerful and fundamental lessons. But at a certain time, I think this debate comes down to one thing, and that is you have to look at the collateral damage this game has left in its wake, and you have to ask the question, is it time to say enough? Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. And that concludes our closing statements. Um, also, just a little secret, there was, there was a wager placed in the back room before the debate began. Everybody, the four guys put up 20 bucks each, so there's a $40 Corruption. cash prize in it for whoever, whoever wins this thing. All right, it's all in. You have heard all of the arguments, two teams of two trying to change your minds throughout this debate. Ban college football, that is our motion, ban it or not. Here are the results. Before the debate, 16% were for the motion, 53% were against 31% were undecided after the debate. 53% are for the motion. That's up 37%. 39% are against. That's down 14%. 8% are undecided. 
The side arguing for the motion carries the debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.